Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is the Noir at the Bar Anthology, Volume 2. We did a few interviews so far, uh, and now we're going to actually do the review of the book. So uh, we've read it to you already, but in case you haven't listened to those interviews yet, here's uh, some snips of the synopsis, or I'm sorry, the foreword that Jedediah Ayers did in Noir at the Bar 2. The first Noir at the Bar Anthology featured a broad range of noir flavors. Our authors busted the seams of genre in a dozen different directions, and with this, the second schizo version of crime fiction for now, we may have actually broken noir. Yes, some of the stories in this collection you'd be hard-pressed to find any prosecutable actions in, but they're steeping in transgression and moral failure up to their tits. The writers got the wrong right, and that's worth more than a hundred brilliantly plotted whodunits. Don't worry, we brought the violence too. We won't leave you blue-balled for mayhem. And sex? You bet. In fact, you may wish we hadn't. Sorry, you're stuck with it. It cannot be unread or unheard. The first you know, three times we went through that that little piece of the introduction that Jed Ayers um, wrote, we had only read you know, two or three of the stories for the interviews we were doing. Um, man, that synopsis makes so much more sense after reading the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I fully agree with you. And that's just a snippet of the forward. So um, he definitely does his best to set you up for kind of what you're going to get when you're reading the stories. Uh, so definitely don't skip over that forward. So Rob mentioned um, we did three interviews with three of the authors. Um, now it's time to talk about uh, about all the stories, kind of, uh, well, not all the stories, I guess, but some of our favorite or standout stories of the bunch. You want to kick it off with one of yours, Rob? Yeah, for sure. So as anybody who's listened to... Um, us talking about an anthology or a collection of stories in the past, we, we've fallen into this formula that I think works really well, where we each talk about our top three stories in the book. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. Um, so we're just going to kind of alternate back and forth doing that, and then we're going to go from there. So the first one, the one I want to kick it off with, is, and I'm kind of just going in random order, not necessarily in the order of I liked worst to best or best to worst or anything like that. Uh, I want to talk about a little story called The Tar Hole by Matthew McBride. We um, we know Matthew McBride a little bit from uh, bumping into him at Frank Bill's book release for crimes in southern Indiana. He did a reading down there of, oh, Livius, do you remember what the name of that story was? Big Darlene or something like that. Big Darlene was definitely the character in it. Now I, the story, <laughs> it, it, it escapes me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so that was our first taste of Matthew McBride, and he... Um, he did a good job in Noir at the Bar, too. Uh, so it's a story about uh, essentially a man who deals with his elderly father um, without revealing too much. The The main character is kind of is in a family that's, you know, not a stranger to criminal activity, his father included. And so he, he's trying to just get his father settled in and his father's just not having any of it. And the things he has to go through to to get his dad to settle down. I guess <laughs> it's a real heartwarming story about a father and son, um, you know, in the notes, I think, is that the one I put in? It was kind of like the courtship of Eddie's father, only, you know, not quite. So, um, but yeah, definitely. Absolutely. A great story. The thing is with it, all the thing that are excellent about it, we can't talk about because it just ruins, you know, the whole, the, the whole reading experience. But uh, I will say McBride does bring the, the kind of gritty, 
grimy feeling that um, that I've gotten from other stories that he does, and he's just a great writer. His form and his content is just excellent. The first story I'm going to talk about has a very um, crime, uh, crimey theme as well. It's uh, Les Edgerton's A Streetcar Not Named Desire. Um, again, as Rob has said, and we'll probably want to mention a few times in order to not spoil any of uh, any of these stories, it's basically about these two kind of bumbling crooks who, who plot one crime in order to finance a second bigger crime that they have in mind. And it's just a... Uh, like a day in the life of these two, uh, these two knuckleheads. Um, it's, it's maybe, I don't know. I know there's another story that made me laugh, but I know this is one that actually made me laugh out loud as, uh, as one of the criminals shares some of his, uh, his knowledge of what women really enjoy in this story. (laughs) Yeah. That was like, yeah. It's funny. The things that really stick out in the story, like, Oh, you know, the part that Livius is alluding to is just so inconsequential to the story, but it's something that's just so vivid that it just sticks with you. Well, and, and that's it. It's it's inconsequential to the storyline, but I mean, it really tells you something about, you know, both of those characters during that conversation that they're having. So it's something that seems so ridiculous, but it really kind of gives you a peek into their character, I think. For sure. What do you got next? All right. The next one I want to talk about is titled Easy Meat, and it's by Dwayne Swierzynski. Um, again, kind of a, well, they were all short stories, so I can't really say too much about it, but it's set in the Prohibition era, and um, it's a story about a couple of uh, reporters, I guess, who meet up in this one restaurant slash kind of speakeasy area, and the things that go on during a, a raid a prohibition raid. The whole it's whole it's all set under kind of a new governmental control kind of thing, and you know the the changing of power and everything. And um, I just thought it was a really really great story. The other thing I liked about that story is that there's a, uh, a a female character's kind of mentoring the the male character. I kind of like that that relationship. Yeah, and she's like that. She's that like you know hardened. She knows her stuff kind of kind of person. Um, who's who's showing this new guy the ropes and, uh, you know, not afraid to, to have him learn some tough lessons and stuff like that. It's just really interesting that, you know, you read stories and you kind of immediately can see um, where the story's going and, you know, like where the person's idea or concept for a story came from. And that one is, and then there's a, quite a few in here and, and that just come out of nowhere. Like, do you have any idea what to expect when you were reading that story, like where it was headed or not really. But the nice thing about it was that the setting was just so cool. And like all the things that you were taking in were just so interesting that it didn't, you know, I didn't really worry about too much. I was like, I was happy to just be along for the ride. Yeah. It was very interesting and and very different. I think in, in some ways kind of uniquely different from, from some of the other, from most of the other stories in here. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when you hit some, some serious, like, gritty crime writing people just rely on the gore and the shock value i'm not saying as like a weakness or the fact that they can't write another way but just like you know that's what's prevalent in the story you know this story doesn't worry about that type of stuff at all it's very it's got enough going on it's interesting for for other reasons than just violence i'm kind of gonna tag on to that to kind of express the the better side of, of what you just said um, this is uh, the only duo I've been in the book, um, Robert J. Randisi and Christine Matthews, and the story is uh, quick. I think that might be the shortest story in the book. 
I mean, that flew by in a flash. And again, not going to say a whole lot. It starts out with these two people who apparently um, have a hostage that's going to be used for who knows what. Um, probably the oddest story in here, but definitely um, I really liked where it headed and it really kind of caught me off guard. Um, it was gory. Uh, one of the gorier stories, Rob said, but not that that's what made it great. I think that the whole thing was just wrapped up really nicely for as short of a story as it was. Yeah, I think when Jed said uh, stuff in the forward about they brought the violence to and uh, and the sex, you know, all all that stuff that you know they brought in a big way, um, it, at very least a little bit influenced by this story. Yeah, but. Um, very, very unique in the scope of, of, the, of the rest of these stories. I think that one is just stand out because it's the content is very different from, I think, pretty much every other story in the collection. I'll agree. All right. The next story that I want to talk about, this is my third story, um, is titled The Return Trip, and it's by the author Jonathan McGoran. Really, it's about a, a young kid who uh, learns some stuff about his family history, and which causes him to go on. Uh, a bit of an adventure to discover his, you know, biological family who he hasn't seen in a long time and stuff. And that's really all I really think I can say. The the thing that I thought was great about this story was it, it, it sets up a story that's interesting in and of itself in a very like traditional crime sense, but laced throughout. And then kind of at the very end, there's a twist that uh, makes you look at the story in an entirely different way. And um, overall, it's one of those stories where, and I know Livius talks about stories like this a lot, where, you know, it's good on its own, but that little extra element made it excellent. And I think that's what uh, what Jonathan McGoran did with uh, the return trip. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's a terrific story. It, it The concept didn't immediately strike me as very original, but I think the way that Mr. McGoran kind of took the story and, and the, the characters involved in it made it special in its own way. So, yeah, he took a situation where you've got a kid who's got a very uninteresting life and he's thrown this bit of uh, a potential for something greater or something more exciting. But when he gets to it, you know, maybe it's not exactly what he thought it was and then and how he reacts and evolves from that. So um, he just did a great job of that. I think it was really good. It's a coming of age story, but. A coming of age story. Well, but no, if you really think about it, it is. But it's a coming of age story that lives in this really, really dark world where noir stories exist. Yeah, like a coming of age story for monsters. Yeah, pretty much. You know, just a not your after school special one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What do you got left? What's what's your final one? Oh, if anybody's familiar with the the playlist for this uh, for this anthology, they'd wonder. These guys didn't mention David James Keaton at all. How is that even possible? So my final story that I'm going to talk about on my own is uh, called Three Abortions and a Miscarriage, A Fun What If. <laughs> off, right off the bat. <laughs> He's not burying the lead. Yeah, that's um, it's, uh, David sitting around going, eh, you know, I got to get a really, really eye-grabbing title. And, and I think that might be the most eye-grabbing one of, of the bunch. And what to say about this? It's a character who recounts his relationships with uh, with a few women in his life, um, most of them surrounding, you know, pregnancy, potential pregnancy, that type of thing. Um, what really makes this story great is it, it's a sprawling. It's a sprawling story like David James Keaton tells pretty much every time we read him. Again, you have quirky character relationships. There's this this kind of great 
scene where the the protagonist um you know basically you know, picks a fight and antagonizes a, a what would you call him a street um a street preacher i guess Is yeah that, yeah yeah evangelist street evangelist maybe yes yeah so you know i mean and it's just like this real quirky stuff i'm not going to suggest that this whole thing is autobiographical because this is a it's not like a real heartwarming story but you know uh rob said it earlier he's can't just see keaton picking a fight with like a street evangelist <laughs> yeah, yes yes i can and that's what makes the story great is that um like a little bit of it is steeped in reality just 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 the tip maybe but uh um, just just a, a great read and, and not, you know, the story, although it has some some kind of funny points, has has some some real serious stuff. And it's a guy who has to deal with a lot of things um, and a lot of decisions that he's made in a lot of situations he's thrown into. Um, no real crime in that one. It uh, didn't you know, it didn't fit the bill of having that crime feel like so many of these did. But it's definitely about a guy going through some some dark stuff. But it was more everyday dark stuff, I guess. There's no stretch to the imagination in that story. I mean, that's that's kind of stuff that you know people have to deal with, and I think he did a great job with it. Yeah, more emotional and personal dark yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. Can I say one of my favorite parts of the story? And it's not going to be anything that really ruins it for someone who might want to read it. Um, how the name of the bar kept changing. <laughs> how yes. he, but the way that he referenced it was beautiful. Like which used to be, and then he gives a bar name that he mentioned earlier. Oh, it's just so good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. His character keeps having a reason to return to the same bar over uh, an extended period of time where it's changed owners numerous times. So great stuff. Yeah. But it, it's details like that, though, that, um, you know, it's like talking about the, the Les Edgerton story earlier. You know, story was was good, you know, and but you have these little tidbits that, you know, are they integral to the story? No, but they make them so much more interesting. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I always get concerned with people talking about like cutting it down to like bare story and like trimming out all the fat. And sometimes the fat, is some of the best parts. So, yeah, yeah, I'll agree. Yeah, I mean, it adds like a an element or a facet to the personality of the story mm-hmm. if it's pulled off properly. Sometimes it's just like window dressing or you know, kind of just pointless. So I guess if there's a there's a there's probably a bit of skill that goes into it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure. So. Um, now something, so that's, we each cover, we each talked about three standout stories. So, um, that's not to say there weren't other terrific stories in this collection and I'm sure we'll, we'll mention them a little bit in passing, but when Rob and I were doing, was it, uh, the solar side anthology? Yeah. Yeah. We decided, and we had kind of jokingly, not jokingly said, but kind of agreed that one particular story was the winner. And Rob and I had talked, I don't remember if we mentioned this on the show or not, but we decided anytime we do an anthology, if we can come to an agreement on one story, we would declare an anthology winner. Um, lo and behold, we were able to to find one story that we both agreed on could possibly be the winner of this anthology. Do you, would you like to tell folks what it is, Rob? Oh, I get to do the reveal? Yep. All right, so the anthology winner is a story called The One Good Thing, and it's by the author Jane Bradley. So what I'll say is it's very exciting that the on it what we uh, unanimously consider the anthology winner is a story by a woman. Well, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Especially after what you said about women writers. If you have so, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I had to, re- this is not redemption. <laughs> this is just straight up reality. Um, <laughs> a little bit about the story. Um, it's, it's about a woman who recounts uh, the life experiences, the ups and downs of, 
her sister, who is is a very troubled woman who gets into a lot of trouble, you know, from when they were young adults, I guess, through really, I mean, their entire life, which is a span of decades. And it's kind of her reflection on her sister's life. And it's just like a really stark look at how bad someone can have it, I guess. Yeah, her sister is... um... She deals drugs, you know, throughout a good portion of her life, but she's also somebody who readily trades um, sex for money, sex for drugs, sex for um, favor, not favors necessarily, but for favor with somebody or multiple somebodies in some cases. Um, and it's just a walk down 35, 40 years or so of, of life that could have gone a different direction, you know, by, by stark contrast, the sister who's, who's recounting the story She's the good sister. She's the quiet one. She's the one that managed, even though they had the exact same reasons, maybe for going in the directions that they, you know, that that her that her sister did, that kind of walked the straight and narrow, and uh, just what a great story to tell over the span of I don't know whatever ten, twelve pages, whatever it is, to be able to to really put this whole life in a nutshell. I think that Jane did just a fantastic job of of doing this portrait in a non traditional short story way i guess do do you follow what i'm saying she didn't it's not three hours in somebody's life or a week in somebody's Mm -hmm. life i mean we're covering a lifespan but getting a very vivid picture of the things that that this person had to go through yeah what makes it so powerful is the fact that livia's mentioned it that they grew up in the exact same circumstances and you know jane the the narrator Um, I almost said Jane as if it was her. You just feel like it's the author because you feel like, you know, that's who's, she's just telling you something about her life. It's very conversational almost. But um, yeah, the thing that makes it so powerful is the fact that like, it's this narrator uh, who went through the same things and experiences as, as her sister, but grew up in an entirely different way. Um, And the sister is obviously being much more tragic. I will say that it's probably better to mistake Jane for the narrator than, than for the subject oh yeah yeah so um that one pretty much covers you know we're talking about jed's uh, intro his his forewarned that's in the beginning of the of the anthology and you, you pretty much right there's sexual deviance there's you know basically pedophilia there's rape there's you know drugs crime i mean it, every bit of those dark bleak things that that noir at the bar stories you know become or are were all included in this story so that's our uh that's our anthology winner yeah and livius can you do your quote because i think that um and, and the reason i'm going to kind of preface this a little bit the, uh, the the story is just a good story but it's got such a gravity to it that uh it really makes you feel and think you know about the situation and livius pulled a great quote from the story that i think is just the type of thing where you know, you're reading a story and everything, and then you just get, you know, you just go cold, you know, and this is this line really it, it kind of little demonstrates that. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, towards the end of the story, after she's basically done recounting her sister's life, um, or, or the narrator says, sometimes I think if she had been weaker, she would have been scared as I was. People think I was the strong one, the brave one. I got out. I lived. So I think that, uh, the narrator coming to the realization that you know people say she's the strong one for not succumbing to these things but really looking at you know at at what her sister had gone through 
and continue to go through and kind of labeling herself as scared, but she's the one that was able to get away from those things because of her fear. So, yeah. How haunting is that? Like knowing that you're the weaker one and that's the only reason that you, you know, didn't have to endure such Mm -hmm. a shitty life. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that definitely is, uh, is that little bit at the end, you know, it was a great story up until then. And I read that and immediately I, you know, went ahead and, typed into my phone this quote, you know, or this little sentence that really summed up just everything that's fantastic about the one good thing. Yep. Anthology winner, Jane Bradley's The One Good Thing. Good stuff. So that's seven stories we talked about. Not to say there aren't other stories that are worth mentioning. Um, There's a lot of great stuff here. There's, um, and two of them you can actually hear on previous episodes of ours, The Lipidopterist, and Gordon Highland's untitled Stephanie Meyer novel, um, kind of nice if you want to go back and hear the author's delivery on those um both great standout stories and uh you know <laughs> the lip adopters I, i've got to say this about it okay it's about a guy who collects lips so in case human you lips listen, yeah human lips that's all i'm going to say about it you can go back and listen to kayla breed it in uh our noir at the bar uh live reading that we recorded um but yeah i mean there's some other just terrific stuff in here so uh, the rest of our Noir at the Bar recording, which we did on February 28th of this year and put up not too long afterwards, uh, the other there were five people total that night. So Caleb and Gordon read the stories that Livius just said. We also had uh, Mark Tiedemann read a story that was different than what appears in the, uh, in the, um, the, the anthology. So you could check out his recording. Uh, Kevin then Helmick reads a little bit from his book, Heart, his two books, Hardland Gothic and Sebastian Cross. So you can check out some excerpts of those books a little bit and his recording. And then Nick Young, uh, all the way from South Africa, read his story from uh, uh, the Warmed and Bound anthology. So we've got all those live recordings available if you want to get a little bit more from some of the Noir at the Bar authors. Helmick's story was uh, was pretty interesting, too. So I'm looking through the notes. You know, these things start to come back to you. Yeah. <laughs> that one was, yeah, it was... It was good. Yeah, it, it's kind of the, I don't want to say too much because that's another one that you could spoil real easily, but it's kind of like the the, the turnaround on a on a con. Yep. So, but yeah. uh, great stuff there too. So I'm excited. I was very happy to, to read through this. There's just really some great stuff in here. Yeah. And then obviously other stuff relating to this anthology. We just recorded those uh, interviews with Matthew Funk. Benjamin Whitmer, John Horner Jacobs. So if you haven't listened to those yet, you can hear kind of their take on the stories that they have in this book, uh, as well as just a little bit more about their writing in general. I guess we should uh, do a wrap-up and some stars, huh? Yeah, I think that would probably be good. You want to kick it off? Sure. Um, Ton of stories, a ton of content, most of it exceedingly bleak. Um, so much violence and family hatred and and everything else, but very, very engaging stories. Um, It's a collection of people who read at the same place. So, you know, obviously people and writers are, are, you know, in any type of people, any type of group are kind of drawn to their own. So, I mean, the expectation is that most of these people write, See in a certain genre, but at least with a certain feel, a certain kind of emotion behind it, and that emotion is 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 noir. I mean, this is this is really noir at its at its bleakest. Uh, I don't know. How to say, I was gonna say at its finest, but that doesn't <laughs> noir isn't fine. Like I don't. That doesn't really make sense to say it that way. 
but it's a it's just an excellent collection, um, especially when you consider the fact that the only thing tying these people together is uh, you know uh, the Meshuggah Cafe in, in St. Louis. So to have that much talent go through the doors of, of one place and and uh, spend some of their time sharing their work with other people. Um, yeah, it's just fantastic. And the ability to put that together in one volume. And let's not forget that this is all benefiting um, a local bookstore that's next door to the Meshuggah Cafe, um, Subterranean Books. So, I mean, you look at it that way, it all comes together into a really, really nice package. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. All right. So my, I'm, I'm thinking, I've been thinking about the, the anthology overall lately and uh, lately being like in the last 24 hours. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm looking at uh, Jed's forward because it's a very powerful and very evocative, no punches pulled kind of forward. And I think that's kind of like his promise, you know? And I look at the stories that are in the book as kind of like him delivering on that promise. Uh, it, it It's exactly what he's he's warning you about. Um, but And here's the thing Jed does. He tries to make it... I mean, what Jed does is he represents the very gritty, in-your-face dark, harsh, violent element of what's in his book because there's a lot of that in there. But there's, I mean, there's just good talent there and good writing. And I guess, you know, that's a little bit of the softer side of it is like you're going to a book because, you know, this is the content that you're looking for. But he didn't just grab anything. He grabbed some really, really talented, good writers to put together really well-written stories. And I mean, this Jane Bradley story, I mean, it's tough to find a story that that's that that evokes that much of a, a thoughtfulness and feeling and emotion in such a small amount of space. So it's not like it's just a bunch of gratuitous violence and sex and crime. It's good stories written very well. Livius makes a very good point by saying that these are just people that that read in St. Louis. Uh, at the North Bar event. So he doesn't have a pool of authors from around the world and he's not taking in, you know, a thousand submissions for, of which he's going to accept 20 or 25 or whatever. He's got a very, very small pool to draw from and somehow they all just happen to be really crazily talented. So I'm with Livius on this. I think this is an excellent collection, especially with uh, the, the constraints that he had on him, not only with the, the talent pool, but with time. I mean, the first North of our anthology came out a year ago, right? Yeah, about that. So in that time, he he, he hosted enough people of, of enough quality to put together an anthology like this. So I think it's a it's a it's a feat that he pulled off quite well, and and very humbly, you know. But very humbly, but in a way where you could tell he really loves it and he loves doing it. This is something that he just has fun doing. Same thing with Scott Phillips. If you ever meet Scott Phillips. He's just there because it's what he loves to do. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not getting all teared up about this, but I just really respect and admire what they're doing with these anthologies because they're just in it for, uh, you know, for the noir, I guess, the lamest thing I could possibly say. But they're giving the money to a good cause, which is a subterranean book. So um, it's just a labor of love that just, you know, kind of feeds back into itself and, and the community that it's, you know, that supports it, I guess. So long, long spiel over. I really think this anthology was well put together and I like the stories in it. So I'm going to go with Livia set four and a half stars. You know, you said you weren't tearing up or anything and I got to take you at your word, but I thought maybe you were for a little bit there. It sounded like you were breaking up a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, like, like I said, Jed's a, 
modest guy, but I mean, it's a, it's a big effort that they, that him and Scott and all the authors put together. So, you know, it's something that I think deserves a little recognition. I agree. Uh, interesting point of note, or maybe not so interesting, depending on if you care or not. Um, we did an early Jed was very, very kind, not only to help facilitate the three interviews we did, but to provide us with an early copy of this so we could get this review out, um, just as the book was releasing, um, which we're doing because apparently it came out today while we're recording this. So that's fantastic. Our timing is excellent or Jed's timing or however you want to look at it. But we were a couple stories short in our advance. So um, if you're thinking, hey, you know, I, I read this, I came back to listen to your podcast and you didn't mention this particular story because it's great. Just know that there were two stories we didn't have access to at the time. But the nice thing about that is, is next time we're in St. Louis, we'll get copies and have something to look forward to reading. That's right. Anything translation. Else? Translation. Don't put this down for your full word or your full uh, page count for the year until mm. you finish it. So I'm saying. <laughs> Right on. But at any rate, speaking of, of anthologies and collections of brilliant authors and, and everything else, um, we've been hard at work. We've, we've started really working on, uh, on our own booked anthology. Yeah, we promised that we were going to talk about it endlessly, and then we just haven't talked about it at all. So you guys have had a bit of a reprieve, but uh, there's definitely some progress going on. We're getting stories in that are just excellent. I mean, I'm really loving the stuff that we're getting. So I'm getting much, much more excited about this project as time goes on. It is. And we'll talk about it more, I think, when we're able to kind of firm things up a little bit. Maybe we could do something where like once, like every episode, we could release like one author who's going to appear in it or something as like little teasers. Mm. Yeah. And then once, you know, once we start considering other stuff like book covers and stuff, we can we can start having interesting conversations about that stuff. So right now we're kind of in the infant stages of just having submissions coming in and, and learning our workflow and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's picking up steam in a very exciting way. So that was Rob's way of saying that instead of actually recording this show, we're going to record our phone conversations like to and from work, which is the stuff we talk <laughs> about, like book covers. And man, I really like this guy's story. We should have him in the anthology. <laughs> Yeah, our little behind the scenes, like, how do we work it out so we can have them give us a story? Exactly. So, um, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're somebody who's appeared on the show and uh, uh, and, and, you know, you've received your invitation, hopefully, uh, if you haven't, please contact us. Um, but hey, get to work. We've still got room for, for more stories, but uh, it is filling up uh, quicker than I thought. So, I mean, we're getting a lot more submissions than I expected at this kind of early stage. Yeah. So booked anthology still. Definitely in the works. You can definitely be looking forward to seeing that uh, sometime in the early part of next year. And um, I'm very, as these stories roll in and, and we read them, it's just making me feel better and better about the project. Yeah, I, you know, it's like, so a story shows up in the inbox and you go, oh God, I hope this thing's not a piece of crap. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's really what happens every time I look at one. I go, I go, oh, we got another submission. And then my first thought is, oh God, what if it's terrible? But then I, mean, I gotta tell you, I have read three just fantastic stories just over the last couple of days. Just brilliant. So I'm very excited. Can I say something that's really just terrible? Yes, of course. Um, Why would you ask for permission this time? <laughs> so I'm all caught up in the story. Like I've read all these submissions we've got so far and I'm thinking as I'm reading them, I'm kind of thinking of them as a collection and I keep thinking to myself, well, why haven't we read anything else that this, that's this good? So... <laughs> <laughs> It oh. wasn't terrible to anybody who partakes in this show, at least. Yeah. Um, no, so, hey, if, you, 
you know, it's all because it's, you know, you have different, you look at things differently when it's, you know, you and your own baby and everything. So at least I'm not like, all of this is terrible and I hate my life. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's, uh, if you can't tell, we're ridiculously excited about it. So cool stuff. I think that came across. All right. And speaking of coming across uh, recently, uh, as recently as last night, um, the latest episode of Booked News appeared as if by magic in our inbox. So without further ado, here's some words from Skip Papersley. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in Book News, E.L. James' Fifty Shades of Grey has finally been dethroned from the top spot of the bestsellers list for ebooks after 29 weeks. When reached for comment, James had the following thing to say. I've made so much money from these books, I've just been introducing Ben Franklin to my inner goddess, if you know what I mean. I suppose now I'll have to invest in some mutual funds. Book News is happy to report that we will only ever make one more mention of this horrid book, and then seal it away forever. On the other side of this story, Lee Child, author of The Wanted Man, is now actually a wanted man. Wanted for what, you ask? For treason? Mr. Child did the world a favor by knocking Fifty Shades of Grey from the top spot, but in the process he also knocked America's favorite book, Gone Girl, by Gillian Flynn from number one. President Obama, Mitt Romney, and Mahmoud Ahmadinejad spoke at a joint conference at the UN publicly denouncing Lee Child as a traitor, a terrorist, and as Ahmadinejad stated, a doo-doo head. Now the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Telegraph Avenue by Michael Chabon calls in at number five. J.D. Robb, Delusions in Death, croaks in at number four. It's a Good Time for the Timekeeper by Mitch Album at number three. We all hold our heads in prayer for Gillian Flynn and Gone Girl at number two. Finally, A Wanted Man by Lee Childton. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right, so that made me laugh out loud. Rob forwards these to me when he gets them. Sometimes it's like two in the morning. I always try to like sneak off somewhere. I'm at work, sneak in the back room and listen to him. And that just goddamn cracked me up. I love that guy. (laughs) That little last bit with Gone Girl just, Mm -hmm. oh man, that killed me. I was laughing out loud. Oh, uh, Lee Child, man. Top of the bestseller list. Craziness. Is that on your uh, to read list? No, I gave up on those after like book four or five. Oh, but that's right. You I, kept yeah. the, you kept saying you you didn't know if you'd read a book or not because they all sounded so, read the same or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I just I don't know, and it just got to be more of the same. Which it's, with some authors is okay. There's a few authors I read that's a lot of more of the same, but then there's character stuff that you love and Lee Childs, Jack Reacher is kind of a loner, so it's really hard to get attached to a loner personality. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, whatever. Good for Lee Child, I guess. That got a blockbuster movie coming out. Um, but you know what I'm thinking? That that stay at the top of the bestseller list, I think, is going to be a little short lived. Oh, um, because of what's coming out, like tomorrow. Yeah, or Actually, today or whatever. Today. Yeah, today, yesterday. If you're listening to this on Friday, we don't know what's coming out this week. Um, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> um, J.K. Rowling of of Harry Potter fame. The casual, um, casual vacancy. vacancy. Yeah. Um, we're going to be reviewing that for our next episode. Should be interesting. Um, as it stands right now, booked is negative $36 for the effort, <laughs> which 
You know why this pisses me off, right? Because what did we do last time we were faced with a book that was 18 bucks? We boycotted Stephen we King. We boycotted it, but we've been saying for months and months and months on the show, we're going to read J.K. Rowling. We're going to read J.K. Rowling. So I got to tell you, J.K. Rowling, this book's starting a few stars in the hole now from uh, from emptying my pocketbook. Wow. Yeah. If, uh, if there's no butterbeers in this book, I'm going to be very disappointed. I'm sure that means something to somebody. <laughs> It's uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, I know. Um, so a couple of things. Um, let's talk about this for a second. $18 for an ebook. Holy crap. That, that Right? I'm not alone in this? Yeah, this goes back to my whole thing about like, all right, so they could, like, all right, if you're the if you're publishing J.K. Rowling, which I think, is it Little Brown or is it, uh, I, don't know, I don't know who does it. I think it's Little Brown. Hachette. Oh, okay. the one we can never figure out how to pronounce. Um. If you're their publisher, you know without a doubt that you could essentially just take her words, print them, you know, in the most nondescript book, not even do a cover, just like put the title and her name in a very plain font, uh, send it out to stores, put it up on Amazon, not advertise it at all, and still be the number one book forever, basically. But uh, you know that they dumped tons of money into an advertising budget for it and all this development and marketing and stuff. And that's going to take at least a percentage of the reason why the, the cover price is so high. The rest of it is just pomp. It's all name and everything. Um, not to mention the fact that I just pulled this up to make sure that we had to hash it as there as was the right publisher. Um, apparently, and I'm doing the math and we're, well, I'm okay. I don't know about you. Um, you're entitled to a new digital copy of the book if you purchased it before uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time because there were some uh, formatting problems with the ebook. So not only was it the most expensive ebook in existence, I think, but it was. But they they put out crappy product. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so um, I have to crack mine open and make sure that it's uh, that it's in good shape. So. so pricey pricey stuff and the, the jk rowling fanatics out there are gonna not even hesitate to drop those 19 dollars or whatever well it's gonna be interesting because this is not i mean i hope that nobody's expecting harry potter but this is a book for adults it's not the the you know the the, the fantasy storytelling that she did you know and sold millions and millions and millions of books she's she's taking a swing at a whole new thing here well it rhymed um yeah, I'm really hesitant because I I mean, I haven't done it much, but we read that uh that Owen Colfer one, Plugs, which was his first foray into writing for an adult audience after doing the Artemis Fowl books and I thought it was it fell very flat. So, I mean, you could be as excellent as you want in one in one situation. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be excellent writing everything. Yeah, and that brings a couple of things to mind. Um, the big difference between Ian Culfer and her is that she just financed another couple generations of of her uh, of her. Uh, uh, what the hell do you call them when they're ancestors, but they're the other way? I'm not helping you on this one. God damn it! All right, any rate, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and um, <laughs> the other thing I thought about is it'll be interesting to see because you um, are fam very familiar with her writing read what seven books of hers yeah um and, and you know when you have expectations based on her writing i don't know what to expect i haven't read word one of a harry potter book 
Um, obviously, I'm familiar with what the story's about, as is everybody that owns a television or the internet or whatever. But uh, so we'll we'll see what two different takes uh, do for this. So maybe you know your expectations will lead you to hate it. Maybe it's my first thing I'm reading from her. It's adult material. Maybe I like it. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and actually, I know that you haven't, like you said earlier, read uh, a word one of a J.K. Rowling book, but I will not hesitate to mention that it's the only author I've ever seen use Livius as a name for a character in one of their books. This is true, and now I take it back. I read word one because you sent me a picture with it like <laughs> circled in the middle of the page. Here's <laughs> my roundabout way of telling you that you were a liar. There you go. I, I see that now, and that is correct, so... But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm like looking forward to jumping in the story, but I'm looking forward to see what our review is going to be. So I am, I am very cautiously approaching this book because I, I think I, I don't want to get built up and have my feelings hurt. <laughs> cautiously approaching it because if you break it, you're out 18 bucks. <laughs> That's the other thing. I'm holding it. It's, it's got more protection than my iPad. Unbelievable. Than man. the iPad on which it exists. We're going to need to figure out a way to make some money if this is the way pricing for everything is going to go now. <laughs> oh, you mean like actually like earn money? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not, yeah. Not like create it in the basement or anything. But the, the nice thing is that it's <laughs> offset by terrific publishers that, you know, that send us books. And there are books we wind up not paying for, which is which is really cool um, as we don't charge you guys to listen to this show. So, you know, it's all coming out of our pocket. But, um, you know, for every free book we got. Spent goddamn eighteen dollars, J.K. Rowling. They said, "Are we about to have that sit down, really awkward money conversation with our listeners?" <laughs> no, we're not. Like, look, guys, <laughs> we think we've been very lenient for the last hundred and seven episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not, and quite honestly, I wouldn't even know the first thing about it. So, um, but but I do think that there are going to be more book shirts in the nearish future. We really, and here's the thing: we really needed to get on that because I was just combing through. Uh, Facebook for just random things recently and um, seeing the number of comments from people who were like, how do I get one of those who I know haven't gotten one yet? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking there's like six or seven people easily who have already asked for one that we just need to make them available for them to buy. So yeah, merch six or seven. Unbelievable retirement money, right? There. I know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if you listeners know, but like shirt money is, is the most lucrative they trade shirt money on, on the stock market, I think. Yeah. I think Rob, out of that first batch of shirts, managed to buy like four lattes. Four lattes. <laughs> Count them, yeah. baby. That, yeah. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a second job, basically. Yeah, pretty much. So, anyway, this has gone on for much, much longer than it should have. We should have stopped right after the part where we were like, uh, yep, and that's the winner of the anthology. <laughs> oh, no. There was a bunch of stuff. I had my... My impassioned speech about why Noir at the Bar is the best thing that's ever existed. That happened. That's true. You yeah. did get choked up a little bit there. Yeah, listener, you know. loyal, loyal, constant listener. Rewind a little bit and uh, and listen to Rob get choked up during that part. All right. Well, we'll just see what's in the booked extras, buddy. Yeah. Make sure you get the violin music in there, right? Book bonus. Book bonus. All right. We're done. Come back soon, next week, maybe. I don't know. This one's a monster. We'll see if we can get through it in, in a week. J.K. Rowling, The Casual Vacancy. Um, you know, top-selling top women authors don't traditionally do very well on the show. Yeah, historically, so far, not, not looking good for J.K. Yeah, so we'll see. Until um, next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Yeah.